This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to the 26th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams. Today's podcast is a two-part discussion with the wise man, Rob Fisher. Rob is one of the early adopters of human and organizational performance. Rob is based in North Carolina, and his organization, Fisher Improvement Technologies, is family-owned and operated. Rob is in the business of doing, by supporting organizations to embed HOP and programs like Aero which stands for Advanced Error Reduction Organization. He calls his team the Practical Application People. Join us in this amazing conversation as we explore Rob's world, his version of learning teams called Facilitated Improvement Teams, the role of systems and people in being able to prevent mistakes from happening, reduce the chance of mistakes occurring, or mitigate the consequence of those mistakes. We finish up part one with a discussion about Deming, the PDA cycle, and the role of continuous improvement with HOP and learning teams. Uh, welcome listeners, and we're being joined today by our very, very special guest, Rob Fisher from Fisher Improvement Technologies. Welcome, Rob, to the show, The Practice of Learning Teams. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, and, and look, it's been a long time coming amongst all the, all the, all the things that have been happening in this world. And of course, as we're recording this, we're moving into the uh, the silly season or the holiday season. So of course, for, for you, it's getting colder. And it is. We had an ice storm today. Wow. Wow. And us, for us uh, colonials down here in the uh, the Pacific, it's getting hotter. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I can't travel down there. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, and look, and, and we are so keen to host you. Um, I, I was actually teasing both um, Dr. Jay Allen and Dr. Todd Conklin the other week that we actually should have a, a massive road show in 2022 and get all our American friends to come down across New Zealand, Australia, and we'll, and we'll do like a road show. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure how many RVs we'll need, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we drive on the wrong side of the road, but that's just that's just part of the uh, the atmosphere, as we call it. <laughs> yeah, that's why we let other people drive when we come down to visit. Yeah, no, I, I always drive when I'm in the US. I love a bit of excitement because I can tell you now, you are so focused on keeping on the right side. It's just amazing. I love it. I love it. But Rob, look, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. And, you know, I, I recognize that, that you've been doing, uh, particularly uh, making use of learning teams um, in a slightly different language for a lot, for, for a real period of time now. But I'd just like you to sort of introduce um, your organization and, and really about your learning team's journey. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Well, my name's Rob Fisher. I own a company called Fisher Improvement Technologies, and we spent the last 30 years helping organizations and individuals understand how and why people make mistakes, especially mistakes that could be catastrophic, and how you can do one of three things with those. You can prevent the mistake or the error, you can reduce the probability or you can mitigate the consequences. So on the human error, human prevention side, um, we got started again almost 30 years ago now uh, 
and have just continually improved the way the science is practically applied. We're kind of known as the practical applications people uh, because everybody in our organization comes from an operational background of some kind. Uh, kind of work our way up into management. Now, I got my start in the nuclear power industry and then I had to modify a lot of things to go out into the real world. Uh, but we did that again quite a long time ago. Very early on, we started doing something that we called facilitated improvement teams. And it wasn't just that the acronym FIT, Fisher Improvement Technologies, FIT, facilitated improvement teams. But what we wanted to do was show very early on that if we understand how and why organizations succeed and fail, how and why people succeed and fail, we should be able to gather together as a team and figure out and even be predictive about those potential failures so we can put success criteria in place before bad things happen. Then you can also use that on the back end to say, okay, what did we learn from this almost? What did we learn from what we called uh, hits, near hits, and near misses? Mm -hmm. um, how can we use this uh, spectrum of analysis, this facilitated improvement team, or now learning teams, to really learn as an organization uh, because just having information isn't learning. Learning is when you actually apply the concepts and practically apply what you've learned so that the organization and individuals have new knowledge that they use every day. So, uh, you know, we've, we've been doing those for quite some time. In fact, a, a few of the organizations that started with what is now called learning teams, we had been in um, doing human performance, human and organizational performance, whatever you want to call it today, um, before the, the learning team concept started being rolled out. So our organization focuses on three things. Keeping bad things from happening, how do you prevent stuff from happening? Um, analyzing things when they do happen, uh, whether it's a learning team or a full-blown incident analysis of some kind, small or large. Um, and then how do you write effective guidance to make sure that people um, have an opportunity to do the right thing consistently? Mm -hmm. You know, I realize that procedures aren't everything, but no procedures is nothing. And and you, yeah. people need to have structure around them. They do, yeah. they do. And, and, and to say you can throw out all the rules and, and I get, you know, that, that, that more rules doesn't equal more safety, but no rules does equal less. And if you don't believe that, go drive in Cairo. So, yeah. uh, no, exactly. And, and we call that, um, we call that STRM, we call that the stuff that really matters. Yeah. That you actually have to have stuff that has to be yeah. there. And, and, and you got to go a step further. You have to have stuff that really matters and you have to have mechanisms to convey that stuff. Yeah. So it really works. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, I mean, we, we sort of talk about the concept that, um, that learning has to be deliberate. And, and yeah. a lot of learning that happens within a system is what we call incidental learning. So people learn through through the system. But as you've said, unless that learning is active, meaning they understand its purpose, you know, the presence of it's the why, yeah. then it can't be deliberate. And, and even, uh, yeah. I like that word deliberate. We, we use a very similar word. We call it intentionality. Yes. 
because that because that's what becomes um, deeply embedded into you as a person is when it becomes deliberate. And and we mentioned before we went to record mode, we we talk about the cultural thing with our Maori culture. We actually we actually call it um, learn, do, and challenge. So a lot of people yeah. talk about you know learn to apply. Well, um, uh, uh, from a cultural point of view down here. Um, challenge is a really cultural practice, which basically says, rather than accepting it, ask yourself why. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. We, we are big on the why. You know, in, in everything that you've tried to apply or learn, you have to understand the who, the what, the how, and the why. Yeah. If you're missing one of those, I mean, really, from our personality diversity background, if you're missing one of those, you're missing a quarter of the personalities that are trying to actually learn. Yeah. But, if you, but if you do all of those, if you work all of those into what you're trying to apply, then, then everybody, uh, their, their box is ticked on what they need to actually learn. And, and that challenge piece is, is important because if they're, if they're missing the one they need, if they're what people, Mm-hmm. And you don't give them the what you take away their ability to challenge yeah. because they didn't, they never got that box ticked for them. That's right. So it's I a, think it all kind of fits together. Absolutely. And, and, and we just push it one more. We, we then have the one at the very end of that called likely impact. Yeah. So we just sort of like what you were saying is we take them through a narrative, that story, we get them to explore that, that deep context of risk. Cause that's what it's about. Cause right. We, we use a pyramid shape and, and we basically say the what's up the top and then you've got you know the how and the why. And, and as you go down, you're getting this deeper narrative. And yeah. it's that deeper narrative that then drives people and, and they sort of move it forward. But like everything else, um, uh, one of the things that we've been focusing on is, is we've been saying it's, it's that contextualization, it's that richness is what helps build uh, critical thinking skills and critical reflection skills with humans it does and if you you know i even like to push it a little step further and bring the performance modes into into the discussion because if i get context but i'm in knowledge-based performance mode sure that context isn't nearly as good as i think it is but if i'm able to build the context into some kind of set of mental or physical rules that that then form the framework yes then my probability that I'm going to be right in that context is higher. Higher, yeah, because it's about that alignment. Yeah. About that alignment. And, and, and what we've seen by building those critical thinking skills, um, we, we typically don't train workers in what goes wrong. We typically train them in the correct procedure, if that makes sense. And by yeah. having those critical reflection skills, they've got a better chance of seeing when something moves away from its normal state. Because I don't see how workers can understand what an abnormal state is when they're not trained or drilled in that abnormal state. Right. And, and know what it is because yeah. in hindsight, that's what we tell them. Well, surely you could tell it was going wrong. Right. Well, yeah. That, I mean that, that hindsight bias is used by, by management mostly. Yeah. And you should have seen this coming. Everybody knows they should have known. We actually, when I, when I work with senior leaders, I challenge them that 
anytime they hear any of their peers or themselves say they should have known, everybody knows, everybody knows not to do that, um, they should have known better, um, there, there should always be a challenge phrase, and that is what makes you believe that. So anyone who, who tries to say, we call, it, we call it removing the common sense argument from, yeah. from performance, because there's no such thing as common sense. Uh, um, you know, our countries both think we have common sense in the way we're approaching things. Well, well that, that's, that's our uh, way of rationalizing. It is. It is. It the local it. justification is all yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we see that constantly. We're probably yeah. seeing a little bit more of a your end than our end. Um, you know, we, we, we just, um, at the same time, we went through our own elections. And um, yeah. we, we run a political system where basically uh, you, you, you vote for the party you want. And then you vote for the person that you want in your area. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's based on a, a thing called proportionality. So if a party gets more than 5% of the vote across the country, they automatically get seats in our parliament. Because the objective is that uh, no one major party can, should be able to rule alone. Yeah. Because it's called consensus. Yeah. Which is not a bad uh, concept of democracy. No, no, it's not. And I think it would be great if it didn't have to be voted on by the people that are already in power that don't want to go out of it, well, which is our biggest problem. Correct. And, and, and here, um, our prime minister is elected by their party, their cabinet, not by the people. Right. So if they're not performing, the government of the day just gets a new leader. Yeah. yeah. Now, Australia, I think they're their ninth leader in five years. We, we, we're a bit more consistent <laughs> in yeah. our approach, but it's just a whole different way of looking at things. Yeah. And, and once again, I'm, I'm sure they're running their own version of a um, facilitated team um, during that process as well. But, but going back to that, um, from, from your perspective, the facilitator is really critical, isn't it, to being successful in undertaking that, that team conversation. Yes, they are. The, the facilitator is vital, but, and I'm going to say something that may have a little bit of conflict here, no, that's good. but well, being a good facilitator isn't that hard if somebody understands what they're supposed to do. You know, a good facilitator knows what to do when they don't know what to do. And um, teaching people how to do that is not that difficult. We've made it difficult um, I don't say we, our, our whole goal is to transfer that into an organization as quickly and effective, as effectively as possible. Yeah. So then they can morph things into it being theirs. But the facilitator um, has to have some kind of knowledge of the process. That's their job, is to facilitate the people and to facilitate the process and keep those two things aligned. Um, and that's a teachable uh, um, skill. So they are vital, but a lot of people could do it if, if they set their minds to becoming a good facil uh, facilitator. Yeah, and once again, I, I think this, I've got two comments. One is it's a soft skill. 
it's not a technical skill it's more of a soft skill because it's around you know communication and collaboration and those you know, really good soft skills um secondly i think um safety people by the nature see themselves as being technical experts a lot they see themselves right. as being knowledge holders around things and facilitation is not that facilitation is the direct opposite right facilitation is where you're not there because of what you know you're there because of your ability to help people navigate right something if that makes sense so and and so again as a soft skill i'm not a i'm not a i'm not a big soft skill hard skill line drawing guy but as a soft skill all somebody has to be be is willing to learn yes. and they can learn that that soft skill um, and in fact some of the people that are technical experts once they really learn that people side um, their process orientation is what keeps them what makes them good facilitators yeah. so you know it's a little bit harder sometimes you get people that are really good people people but they're not that good at following processes and certain personalities are that way. They're great facilitators in open forum, but they're not great facilitators in a process that needs to be followed. And, you know, learning teams, facilitated improvement teams are uh, this magical mold of creativity and process. Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. They, they, and, and yeah, so we talk about this combination of, um, uh, uh, brainstorming and then um, experiential component. So, so in actual fact, we've done a couple of things that didn't sit that well with some traditional learning teams people and that we, uh, we use uh, like a triangle approach. Um, so, so say for instance, if we've got an organization who's um, looking at say reviewing um, say, you know, machinery is a good example. Uh, we've, uh, we've developed a, um, a critical reflection checklist that the work teams can go out into the factory and use this checklist where it talks about the types of common hazard situations that occur with machinery. Because the thing about machinery can only harm you one of seven ways, but the opportunity to harm is variable. But how it harms is actually limited in terms of right. being pulled in, you know, nip points, crushing all those sorts of things. Struck by, crushed by, yep. Yeah, absolutely. And what the checklist does is it gets them to explore. It explains, you know, what can happen. I could be pulled in. And then it asks the work group to say, well, on this machine, how can you be pulled in? Yeah, under what conditions would that yeah. happen? Where, where can yeah. you be pulled in? Make sense? Yeah. So, so the work teams go away and do that by themselves using, using this. And, and what we find fascinating is they see stuff they never saw before. Right. Then, because they're being directed to look for it. Uh, that's correct. And, and so the downside to a checklist is that it constrains thinking. Because as you said, you're being directed to look at something. But we're directing yeah. them within a thinking frame, not yeah. a, a tick box frame, which is what you commonly see. Right. When they then come to the learning team, what they're then doing is they're sharing their stories around the operational elements of that machine. Right. I mean, we did, we did very similar things in fatality and serious injury prevention. You know, yeah. back, I sat on the board for the International Conference for Fatality and Serious Injury Elimination. And that was about the time it was discovered 
the fatalities and serious injuries across the globe had plateaued, but lost work days and first aids and recordables had all dropped historically. Right. And and so we were trying to manage that mismatch. You know, we were trying to manage the slice, all all the things that came out of that in a in a real turn. Very similarly, when you go out and you specifically focus people on some part of the concept that you want them to look for that that you don't want to characterize as a part of the big blob. I want you looking for these things. Mm-hmm. We already know what the Pareto rule is. We already know that that we already know 80% of the things they need to look for. So to to throw that out and say it 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 squashes uh, creativity or or creative or critical thinking doesn't make much sense because the creative uh, thinking is only in the 20%. Let's get the, at least the 80% yeah. covered. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the thing is, um, the hazards that cause harm haven't changed. Correct. I'm still waiting for a new hazard to happen on a machine. Correct. Okay, they're, they're all the classics. And they are. So, so we then, so we do that, we do that, we do that part. Uh, so that's one part of the triangle. Then we do the brainstorming which is the learning team. That's the second part of the triangle. But what we discovered through this process is that there was still something left over with people. And we called that latent knowledge. And latent knowledge is effectively that someone can't bring something out unless it's aligned to them. So they have this knowledge that's sitting there waiting to jump out. But if they can't, if there's no word or there's no uh, conversation that aligns to it, it won't come out. Now, the problem is you don't know how valuable that's going to be. So what we did, we actually did something very controversial. We took a root cause model and we converted it into a reflective conversation. So rather than saying, traditionally, root cause might say, was supervision a factor in the event? We turned that round and, and asked the question, when looking at this type of risk, now, what's the need and level of supervision? Yeah, I mean, these, these are the exact questions that we were that that we were proposing, and and that is that what is we need you to describe the success criteria, yeah, because you already know how things fail, yeah, and and uh, you know it, that even spawned itself into one of the things that we had done for many many clients. I mean, I. I don't know how many of your listeners know about us, but we've had 300,000 students globally. Right. We've deployed in 40 countries and 10 languages. So we know a little bit about what people need. And a lot of times the workers will create what we call standardized stop criteria. Mm-hmm. At what point do you know when something is going to turn from being successful to being at risk? Yeah. And let's, identify that point before we start the job or task or, or whatever it is. And a lot of those learnings that you're talking about, uh, those latent, uh, that latent knowledge comes out in those discussions because, you know, somebody will be sitting there and they'll say, well, I can tell you where I've had to stop every time. Yes. And the, and a manager maybe sit there and go, what do you mean? You can tell me where you've had to stop every time. So then they can actually, then the organization can, can say, do we have to prevent that condition? Do we have to mitigate that condition? Or can we eliminate that? You know, you're back to hierarchy of controls. Yeah, oh, absolutely. 
So, so I suppose what we keep coming back to is that that facilitator is having to allow this semi-constraint mode, this brainstorming storytelling mode, and then this reflective mode all happen simultaneously. And, and some of those things probably don't sit well with them as their learning preference, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, so one of the things that we did was we started these out with the knowledge that, and, and again, we're back to personality tendencies. Yeah. Of the four major personality tendencies in the room, all of you are going to have your revelations in your, in your personality tendency category. You're going to want to speak within your personality tendency category. Some of you like to hold on it hold on to information longer. Mm -hmm. For those of you who like to do that, understand that we're going to reach a point that we need you to give us that information, even if you don't think you're ready. Yeah. So we actually do a briefing on how, the, how all those things are impacted that goes in. Instead of letting people discover along the way, we do a pretty good gazenta briefing <laughs> to help people and a discussion that helps people understand what's about to happen and how they may be impacted and how they would tend to react. But then we have to share with them, here's how we want you to respond when you get in that situation. And, and for, for some, you know, we use a simple pause and play. For some of you, you're gonna have to push your play button yeah. and get it out there. For some of y'all, you know, we're gonna have to ask you to push your pause button because you're oversharing oh. and, it, and, it's, and it's off topic. Again, the facilitator now involves them in those discussions so that when the, when the right information is needed, we can pull it out of them. And, and they tend not to, um, not to reduce their sharing because they understand that their, their role in the process may be a little bit different than the person sitting right next to them. Absolutely. So when we looked at the, this journey around, um, you know, these facilitated improvement teams and learning teams, what, what we found was we, we found there was um, inconsistency with people. That sometimes it worked really well, and sometimes it didn't work as well as what was expected. And we spent quite some time trying to understand what sat behind, behind that. And, and that's where we started talking about this whole thing around weaponization. That, that when things yeah. don't work well for us, it's easy for us to say it was the fault of the system or the fault of the training makes sense, all, all these things, all these counter arguments that, that go on. But what we looked at was that, um, that, that particularly with these types of soft skills that, that people need, very seldom have we ever described to someone what does good look like. So what did a good facilitator look like? And then at the same time, very seldom did we give people the opportunity to assess where they're at now. In other words, understand where I'm at in my journey, where I need to be and how I'm going to get there. I absolutely agree with you, Rob, that um, I think everyone has the capacity and the capability of doing learning teams really, really well. They just need to know where they're at, where they need to be, and how they're going to be coached and mentored there, because it's that reflective yeah. skill that becomes so important. So when we, when we run a learning team, that we create three things outside of the normal traditional learning team. First of all, we basically summarize what did the organization learn from this learning team? What did workers learn 
and what did the facilitator learn? Right. Because if the facilitator doesn't reflect on their own learnings, how can they improve? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, so we have taken this because so many of our workshops are facilitated anyway, yeah. and we have to create facilitators out of people that are operators or mind bosses or rig uh, crew or, or, you know, manufacturing workforce people or a first line supervisor. We use the same train the trainer, trainer certification uh, um, process and verification process that, well, how do you create a good supervisor? Well, first you gotta know what a good supervisor looks like. So let's lay those criteria out. Then, then you actually know the test. So I know what the answers are. How do we get individual A to those answers? Yeah. And, and, and once they have it, they discover how comfortable um, using the rules of good facilitation, for lack of a better way to say it, uh, will make them and how competent it will make them. And they'll use them. They'll follow them because, look, you and I probably know better than anybody. If you get off track from that and you decide you're going to go your own way as a facilitator and not kind of not follow the rules of facilitation, then you can get in pretty much a lot of trouble pretty fast. Oh, yeah, a, lot, a lot of variability can come in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we use, we use the same process that you would use to develop a good facilitative leader in a first line supervisor. Here's the traits and characteristics. Where are you on those? And we actually have assessment criteria that we use to help them to, to, to coach them. So it, it, because that, you know, if you, if you looked at an hourglass, the facilitator is right in the middle of that hourglass. Mm -hmm. They're trying to control all the things that go through that um, from, from all these things you have to all these things that you need to get out of it. And, and the, um, the sand and rocks and everything else that, that have to go through that funnel, um, that facilitator needs to be able to, to, to control that. So making them good is important. And allowing them to grow, to become better. Absolutely. Otherwise, absolutely. improvement can't, can't work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and we think that's important. And, and, you know, and for this to become embedded, because that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We're trying to embed this because we, we, we talk about um, organizations need to be learning organizations because you've got to learn to improve. Yeah. Now, the next question, uh, Rob, is that um, particularly down here that the, the whole there's this link now between the, the new view of safety as it's being touted and safe differently and things around hop and those types of things. Um, we feel that learning can, teams can actually stand by themselves. Yeah. They don't actually have to be a part of a cultural change as such. Because yeah, good human I've come along. Yeah, I, you know, I've kind of stayed out of the fray and, and we'll use the terms because, you know, certain clients or potential clients want to hear the term. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yes, we do that. Yeah. But you have to understand that these aren't, these aren't competing elements and you have some things that flow through. So what, what, what got people mad at me down under was when I said that you could do hop right. 
well, they focused on the right. Oh, so your way is the only right way. I said, no, I'm focusing on the do. Yeah. You have to, you have to do something in order to get it right. And, and there's things that you have to do. You can certainly do uh, facilitated improvement teams, learning teams, exclusive of other things. Um, or you can make it a part of those things. Right. But you can't stop organizational learning because somebody doesn't want to do hop or safety differently or safety two or safety nine or whatever the hell they're doing now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think, yeah, but by nature, and we've seen this in the whole quality world, you know, with Lean, Six Sigma, Toyota, all the rest of it, you know, it's all about systemizing. Yeah. And it's all about my system is better than your system. No. Yeah. 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 And so, so the, the, these divides are natural, but, but but what I see is those divides typically um, exist within that um, early adopter innovative market. The the mainstream market doesn't really care that much about. Yeah, and it, so it, it, one it, of the things that improve. Yeah. One. So one of the things that we did as an organization, and again, we've tried to stay, and have stayed really ahead of the market in the innovative um, uh, ex exploration phase. You know, you got explorers and then you got settlers and then you got, you know, people, you know, pioneers and settlers. We've never been a pioneer or a settler. We've always been out there exploring. And then, and then, you know, the pioneers and settlers kind of uh, make things more, more stable. But one of the things that, that we have done is, tried to stay out on what a lot of people call the bleeding edge right. and using things for things that they hadn't been used for before, uh, regardless of what people are calling things. What if, you, look, you develop a just culture, you don't go buy one. No. And, and, and so you have to, you have to be able to say what attributes are needed. So we, we, started looking at things a couple of years ago in that even from a business perspective in the US, there's over 15 million small businesses. There's maybe a thousand businesses that are big enough to deploy hop, yeah. okay, or, or whatever. But those small businesses, they all need a facilitated improvement team for something. Absolutely. All of them. Yep. So why do they have to deploy hop to get a facilitated improvement team? Well, they don't. Do they need to understand how humans fail and succeed? Yeah. Is that part of hop? Yeah, it's a little part of hop. Yep. They, do they need, so, so for instance, you have uh, millions of organizations around the world that don't have a safety management system that is effective that need one. The regulations require one. Yeah. You know, that, that part hasn't gone away yet, but understanding the gaps from these small businesses from where they claim they have one to where it's effective and not just compliant with the regulation, but actually keeping people safer. That's a facilitated improvement. That's a learning team. Oh, look, absolutely. And, and look, in every standard that exists, and obviously sometimes there's a disconnect between ANSI standards, which is what you guys use a lot, versus down here we use ISO standards, but they're all very mm -hmm. similar. Yeah, this improvement is inherent across all of them. It, it is, and organizations make it an afterthought. 
I, I know. And, 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 you know, we, we've got the, you know, ISO 45001, which is the health and safety standard. Yep. And it says you've got to find opportunities for improvement. Yeah. And what we talk about is that learning teams are about finding opportunities for learnings. And if you Which improve, results in improvement. Correct. Because you can't improve without learning. Yeah. Well, so sometimes, improve, sometimes the improvement will be very short. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's where sustainability, uh, capacity and resilience come in. Yeah. Right. So our, our philosophy goes education, integration and sustainability. And that's how you create resilience and capacity and, and all of those things. First, you got to teach people. Yeah. Then you got to integrate the concepts into the day to day workflow. Then it has to become the way you do business. Absolutely. So, so we said organizations, um, ISO is not safety differently. It's not hop. ISO no. is saying, what is your framework to improve? That's all the same. Right. Your framework to improve. Right. And we're saying learning teams is an example of a framework of learning and improving. It just so right. happens that people enjoy it because they feel valued because yeah. they feel part of uh, improvement, not the outcome of the improvement, yeah. which is what I see. So a lot of traditional systems, the worker is the output of something, the outcome of something. Whereas learning yeah. teams, they are, they are part of the solution. Yeah, and something, something we talked about earlier, and I, I don't remember whether it was before we started recording or not, is that you know, what we tend to do is minimize what some people call the blame culture or you know, the, the finger pointing yeah. um, through some leader education and, and verification and, and some tools for leaders before we go, start going through the learning team or facilitated improvement team process. So rather than, uh, rather than having the leaders um, get their hands slapped for the learning team not coming up with what they wanted, then that's already taken care of in advance. And we, we really kind of make leaders prove that they're going to behave that way before we turn them loose sure. in, the, in the other pro processes. Um, some organizations like that, some of them throw us out the door. And the ones that throw us out the door, they're, they're not ready. Yeah. You know, they're not ready to change because for us, the big change happens in leader knowledge, leader language, and leader behaviors. That'll drive everything else. Yes. You change those three things first. And, and those are really easy to change if you have the right approach. If you got the wrong approach, they suck. You're not trying to change the whole culture of the organization. You're trying to change a few things that leaders think, say, and do yeah, well, that will I mean, change the learning of the organization. Absolutely. We, we, we use the language, we're asking leaders to look at it through a different lens. That's all? Yeah, so that's the what, yeah. and then we provide them the how. How. Correct. Here's how you need to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where there's yeah. opportunities for learning. But when we wrote the book, we did quite a bit of research and we were looking um, back at Deming's work, his original work around continuous improvement. And it really fascinated because, because what we discovered was that the model today about PDCA, plan, do, check and act, the original model was plan, do, study and apply. And we looked at it and thought, well, you know, there's a big difference between studying something 
and um, basically um, checking on something. And, yeah. and I sort of wonder if that's actually what led us down this wrong path, that, that we stopped thinking about why it's working, you know, having that reflective bit, versus like checking in that it's still there. Yeah. And, and I think that yeah. learning teams forces us back to that study component. Yeah, and, and you know, for us, again, we have used Deming's uh, principles yeah. because that's a tie to the science that things like hop needed. Yes. Well, you know, to, tell, to, to be able to tell a leader, look, one of the reasons we're doing a learning team is we're trying to discover the systemic drivers of the problems your workers are going to face or have faced. Yeah. And when they say, yeah, so the hell what? You're just trying to shift the burden from the worker to the manager. And no, 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 no. We're, we have a 90% probability that we have to discover these latent elements in our system. And only the workers are going to be able to help us do that. Yeah. So if you want to go out and run your life on 10% probability of success, go do it. But let's go back to Deming's principles. And by the way, your organization uses Deming's principles all day, every day. So stop not using that one. Stop not using them. So start using this one too. Yeah, because, because you know, there's nothing wrong with those principles. But what we found no. was that, that this whole thing of understanding why something worked got lost. Yeah, well, I, it, it did. And I think part of where it got lost and I'm brainstorming here a little bit, oh, though, yeah, you absolutely. know, because I'm a little bit off script. No, no, we, script. Love, we love going off script. Um, I think part of where it got lost was as we focused more and more people in the engineering space on the development of criteria, mm -hmm. we started to separate the people that were having to do the work from the people that were creating the requirements for the work to be done. And, and so, you know, if you, why, plan, do, check. Okay, checking's much easier than studying. Who would study it? I'm the engineer. I designed it. I'm best, absolutely. And, and, and so, so, you know, by, by changing it a little bit, oh, let's just give the worker this thing that we know they can do, which is check, as opposed to um, involving them in studying. To me, what that's done is it has increased in orders of magnitude, the amount of field revisions that need to be done to critical work. Right. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com.
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.